and welcome to Politically Correct with me, Curtis. And me, Mike. This is the new podcast. I say new podcast. It's episode two of the new podcast where we divulge into the biggest news stories of the week. Uh, me and Mike give you our thoughts. Um, we will be joined by guests eventually. We were meant to have a guest on this week. Unfortunately, due to some issues, they were unable to make it. But um, here's hoping for next week. Uh, if you would like to come on the podcast as well, feel free to reach out. Hashtag politically correct podcast or email us hello at um, at politicallycorrectpodcast.com um, First of all, I want to say thank you Because we have had listeners, Mike That is positive Absolutely fantastic We've had listeners yeah, really not only from our family and friends We've had listeners from the UK, the USA, Belgium, Italy, Germany, Spain and Russia We haven't said anything about Russia yet So yeah. we are okay, there's no bounties on our head <laughs> Yet Yet so if we do go missing, I'm not going to say who it was, but uh, but yeah. What I want to do this week is start by recapping last week's topics. Um, we spoke about the Elon Twitter takeover, uh, what we called the Rishi Roundup, and um, the Matt Hancock going into the I'm a Celebrity, as I think a lot of them, or all of them, have had developments on. Yep. Um, first of all, Elon taking over Twitter. I think, Mike, you predicted it last week, uh, and between us we predicted it. There's been fraud. People have been making fake parody accounts, um, George Bush, quite senior, like M at MP Tony Blair. That's a very believable Twitter yeah. handle. Yeah. Um, saying some incredibly dangerous things. Well, when Elon first got involved, he of course uh, made a pledge, uh, albeit it was a bit off the cuff, but these fake accounts and people who change their Twitter hold to. Uh, reflect they might be somebody else for the day and all this sort of thing that he was going to remove that or he was going to block those accounts until they reverted back to who they actually were etc etc um i almost feel like because there's been this um sort of avalanche of people now doing that they've kind of heard him say it and it's like well i'm going to do that then i feel like it's a bit of a protest yeah. do you know what i mean it's almost people to use there are it. a lot of people that are frustrated with some of the things he said some of the things he's going to do so now I feel like people have said, oh, you got a problem with that? Well, I'm going to do it then. Yeah. I think there was um, uh, someone put up, it was a reply to him or something like that when they said they could, if you do these accounts, basically you're going to get banned straight away mm. before there used to be a um, uh, a warning and then you had a chance to change it and then it was banned. But I believe now you just get banned straight and someone said, well, all that's going to happen is you're going to ban us and refund us our $8, yeah. as they pay in America or six ninety nine yeah. in the UK. Um so there's no is there a, is it sustainable? Is it a sustainable at the moment for for Twitter? Who he reported is losing four million dollars a day. Well, he's tried to combat that by offloading half his workforce and then by imposing this fee on the whole blue tick thing. Uh, so I think in his mind, as a businessman and the kind of person we know him to be, and that's not a negative statement at all. He's prepared to lose some of his um, account holders, if you like, uh, even if they were potentially going to become paying members because he's going to be charging people now. So yeah. I might lose some coverage and, and you know some advertising that way, but I'm going to be charging people $8. So it kind of weighs itself, balances itself out. I think that's kind of where, he's, where his thought process is. Or that's how it comes across anyway. Uh, but I think it's safe to say, as we discussed last week, 
there are a lot of people who have already and probably will come off of Twitter because they're not prepared to pay for it. Do you think the blue ticks an ego thing? Because there is, so there's a couple of slight different changes. Um, I believe we spoke last, I mentioned last time about um, the American uh, polit political officials have on their Senate or candidate or whatever they might be. Now a lot of them have official underneath on just on the Twitter homepage. And also when you go on someone's account and you click the blue tick, if they're an actual verified official, it will say they're a notable figure. If you've paid for it, it says they've got this because they've subscribed. So is it an ego thing to have the blue tick? Uh, I don't think so, no. I think, uh, I think the principle of why it was introduced was for everyone else's safety as well as the person who has the blue tick. I'd go as far as suggest it's probably for everyone else's more than anything. Um, I remember are. seeing something, uh, and I know this only recap, but I'll just briefly divulge that I remember seeing, I think it was a, a WWE wrestler who has the blue tick, has all, you know, all the accounts verified and, and whatever, but somebody was making up fake accounts as a female wrestler as well um, and trying to get people to give on the fake account this is, uh, transfer money and oh saying she was in trouble and she would send pictures if they sent money and things like that. People do fall for that. But there was no blue tick, of course, because it wasn't... I mean, it looked genuine, but no blue tick. Yep. So that's just one example. It's an isolated example. I get that, but I don't think it's an ego thing. Do you think... Sorry, the question for the ego. Is it an ego thing for the average Joe who pays for it, who gets the blue tick? Why are they wanting a blue tick? Uh... I get, I get the the political figure or the um, the authoritative figure stance that it is good to know that if you have a following, they are following the right person. You're not being trashed out there. I've seen similar ones where people have claimed to be Cristiano Ronaldo are saying, "Oh, I've left my wallet. I need money. I'm at the airport and stuff like that." Obviously, that is just, that's a scams. But the average person paying for a blue tick with twenty followers and half of them probably their bot accounts is that an ego? Well, I'll tell you what. If you take the concept of something like Tinder yep. and similar um, dating apps or even similar apps, doesn't have to be a dating app, where you have to verify your identity. Um, having never used it, I, I'm, I think it's a tick or a badge or something on Tinder as well. Um, and there's obvious reasons why yeah. you need to do something like that on a dating app and, and don't need to go into that, of course. I believe you don't have so, to do that, but to get the tick. That's right, you don't have to. Same as on Twitter, it'll be optional, but I think it's the same principle. If you're using a dating app for your safety to date that person, to meet that person, to talk to that person, to exchange messages, potentially pictures, videos, whatever it might be, you would feel much safer doing it with somebody who's been verified by that app, by the people that run that organisation. For me, it's the same principle with Twitter. However... With Tinder, you will have and do have men and women on there that have an ulterior motive, not yeah. necessarily a criminal one, but an ulterior motive, who aren't necessarily on there for what their profile says. You will have the same with Twitter. So to answer your question, yes, it'll be an ego thing with some people. And yes, people have one for reasons which probably aren't necessarily the reason they should have it. But I, I don't know what the solution is to that. If he's offering that, and it's only, I mean, really, it's, it's it's not a huge amount of money a month. People yeah. will want to pay that to have that blue tick. I don't think it matters what website 
industry or organisation is, you're you're going to get um, teething problems certainly to start with, and you're going to get people that do it for an ego boost or for an ulterior motive. I've used Tinder as an example. The same thing happens there. You, you mentioned teething problems. Uh, a quote from Elon that he tweeted, ironically, uh, Twitter will do lots of dumb things in the coming months. We will keep what works and change what doesn't. Is that a dangerous approach? Because if this really doesn't work, he's exposed a lot of people unnecessarily. Mm. I don't think it's a dangerous approach right now, but it could be. It could turn. We don't know what else is to come. No, that's right. And we only spoke about this seven days ago. Yeah. And already, there's been a few changes this week, and he's already come out with um, a different concept to the plan that he announced just just before the the takeover went through. Yeah. So it's not dangerous as we speak, but it, it could turn into something very dangerous for a lot of people around the world. I want to move on now because it is just recaps onto Rishi Sunak. He's currently at COP twenty seven. Um, the big news this week, which we are going to talk about in this episode later on, spoiler alert, is obviously the departure of Gavin Williamson earlier this week. Um, I've got Suella slowdown. There's not been so much. Obviously, there, there is to do with um, the border crossing. We uh, had a conversation earlier in the week about the deal that's set to be struck, which is yep. great. It's needed. Um, and uh, somewhat, to me, a little bit of a surprise. As you said, France could have said, we're washing our hands on it, like clearly closing their eyes, allowing these people through. So why why do you think now why does it benefit France or does it benefit England more or the UK more this deal? Dear oh dear. Well, right now I think it benefits us a lot more. Um, I think France and Macron will be very cautious about whatever deal they do with us because currently, let's face it, let, let's be frank about this. As I was last week on this subject about well, you left, so yeah. You know, you, you left those laws behind. That's that's a you problem now. Again, if I, if I was France, if I was Macron, now going into this agreement, I'd be thinking, well, albeit morally it's wrong, at the moment they're leaving my shores and coming to yours. They're, it, it's not a problem for me. They're, they're passing through. They're not no, causing me the, the issue. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's not causing me an issue at all. So... I think Rishi's going to have his work cut out trying to come to a deal with him. Because at the moment, I mean, unless somebody's going to correct me quite drastically, I I I I can't see how this is going to benefit France as much as us, or as or more than it will us. I I just don't I don't see how that's possible. And I think one of the biggest questions is financially, how much is it going to cost the UK? A lot. And this is it. And this the three hundred and fifty million. A uh, lot. pounds a week or whatever it was yeah. uh, or a day I don't know what, what the claim was but I remember that on the side of that bus 350 million pound a week yeah I remember on that side of that bus that was the claim and now for us to get all these deals in imagine if we, we end up paying more well somebody um, got in touch with me um, after watching the podcast last week and they said um, they wish they could have phoned in they wished it was live because when we were talking about the whole immigration thing and um the asylum seekers and, and immigrants on the French shores and how that was being policed. Somebody sent me um, a few screenshots and they, they were just screenshots, not links. So I've only seen sort of the first few lines of it. Yeah. Um, of a story last summer, so 2021, of a potential deal, potential discussions between the British and French government at the time about us paying them then 
in the region of £60 million to basically do their bit on their side. To do what they're meant to do. Yeah. Um, and we still owe some of that money, allegedly. Now, how far that goes in terms of fact, I don't know. But if if that money was paid, what was that paid for? Now, that's a rhetorical question because we, we haven't got the full facts available. But yeah. um, it brings me on to a, a, a point around this, actually, because uh, it made me delve a bit deeper. And I stumbled across, and I'll be brief, I stumbled across a uh, Vote Leave campaign video. Okay. Where... Um, as as the Vote Remain campaign did, they made statements and promises and whatever else. I'll, I'll just read a few in relation to um, immigration. So, And these, these are quotes. Um, so they promised controlled, controlled immigration and reduced waiting times for asylum seekers. That hasn't happened. Um, wages rising... Nationally, thanks to better controlled immigration, leading to better jobs and opportunities. Okay. Did do you know if they had any backup plans? Because they're very they're very positive buzzwords, but if you can't attach a plan to that, I think people need it's where people need to be careful with with what they with just a headline, well, just a title. This is where uh, this this brings brings back to the point I made last week about. Um, the almost scaremongering that went on in terms of we need to leave because of this and if we don't leave this is going to happen and I think this was part of it there was no plan attached to these statements there I mean this video is about 90 seconds long um there there was um two more uh resurgent economy following the removal of burdens imposed by the EU and a vote to leave is a vote for a brighter future for you, your family, and your community. Now, I, I think, as I, I same point I made last week, people that heard those sorts of things, some of them, not all of them, and I'm not, I'm not um, disrespecting anybody that voted leave by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of people have come out since and said, if I'd known ABC, I'd have voted Remain. If I'd known this was going to be the case, I'd have voted Remain. We said last week immigration's up, asylum is up, the cases aren't being processed. We spoke about um, overcrowding and disease and, and whatever else. The, these were these are all broken promises. Do you think that people should have had the opportunity to vote on the deal? It, so essentially, instead of going, do you want to leave the EU, yes or no, it would be, do you want to leave the EU, yes, under these terms, or no, remain. And the terms would be the deal that is already in place with the EU. Obviously, I know I know the negotiations probably would have been a little bit more difficult for Britain to do it that way, but the, the people haven't got the Brexit they voted for, and that is not um, Theresa May or Boris Johnson's. Well, you can argue not that, 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 as Prime Minister because he was never going to get that deal. Mm. He left on a hard Brexit. Uh, no, I don't. Not what he promised. Should have voted for the deal, and there's a variety of reasons why. And we touched on some of them last week. Um, we've seen the issues and the, and the number of people that have changed their minds from the vote alone. We were offered a referendum. Uh, sorry, we were given a referendum. Uh, we were told that the outcome of that would be respected. There was no suggestion or promise that we would get a vote on a deal, or we should get a vote on a deal. That was never promised. For me, that's what the MPs are paid for. Yep. We, we, we voted. Um, it's now your job to uh, take us out of the EU and get us the best deal you possibly can. As it happened, that didn't happen. 
Um, but I don't think that's the public's responsibility. That's their responsibility. That's why they're in the job they are. If we're going to vote on the deal and potentially then start rewriting it and, and I don't know, how Everyone far, how far does that say, go? Yeah. How far does that go? That's what they're paid to do. If we're doing it, what are they doing? Yeah. With um, just just the final to touch on that, on the, um, the Brexit side of things, should Scotland get a second referendum, do you think there could be a push for a second EU referendum from those who voted Remain? So their argument is that in the Brexit vote, Scotland voted Remain yep. as a percentage. Um, now... But prior to that, my argument there back would be they voted to remain in the UK yeah. as part of the UK and yeah. therefore understood fully what that would mean. Well, they, they, they've changed tact, haven't they? They So they had their referendum and voted to remain as part of the UK. Yep. Now that Brexit has happened and they, as a, as a government, as a Scottish parliament, didn't want to leave the EU, their tact is now, well, forget the 2014 vote on independence we didn't want to leave the eu you're now forcing us out scotland voted as a single nation of great britain we voted to remain so we want another referendum now because we don't want to leave the eu we want to come back in before we move on from the subject um what do you think three things potentially that could be uh Rishi could be facing in the next seven days what would you foresee uh i know we're going to touch on later i don't think the gavin williamson thing is going to go away okay um, I think that's probably going to rumble on for a little while, especially as the investigation is ongoing as we speak. Um, again, I know it was a discussion last week, but I, the asylum and the immigration issue is still there. I think those two are probably his biggest issue right now. And let's not forget, uh, next week he's got the um, OBR forecast. So that's the 17th, I believe. And on the 15th, he is delivering the budget for Jeremy Hunt. Is it the 15th or the 19th? They're delivering the um, well, so, yeah. the budget. So I think that's the three. For next that's week. his three. They're probably high on his agenda right now. He might not come out publicly and say that. I wouldn't expect him to. But yeah. I think he knows. He's probably enjoying there, there's, Egypt there's right a, now. Obviously, there's a lot of other things he's dealing with. But those three are, are right up there at the top of his list. Uh, for me, they're top three at the moment. The last topic we spoke about last week, which is one that I, I told you just before we came on, um, I've got a lot to say about, so I'm going to try and say it in a, a, as quick as possible. Um, Matt Hancock has gone into I'm a Celebrity. Um, whether you like it or not, he is there. And if you vote him out, he is going to be staying. As we said last week, he's going to have seven, ten days in, in the Australian... Um, paradise essentially because we all see the coming out show we all see the 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 stunning hotel that they're in the food that they're eating so he gets that so by voting him out isn't going to um it isn't going to get him home sooner as people are suggesting just suggesting um we have exchanged messages in the evenings whilst the show's been on very concerning from the start i think that um some of the camp mates for me are losing a lot of my respect not that they have to earn it or not that they they probably should want to but they are losing my respect so therefore i think a lot of the, a lot of viewers could be seen the same way itv how far are they going to allow the bullying in the jungle to go on for in terms of from the public and the celebrities and i, I say that in a way of i'm, I'm not by any stretch going to defend or um criticize the government for what they did in covid they made those decisions in my eyes in an unprecedented situation no one could have foretold what was going to happen 
no one like they've, they've previously spoken about um Hancock discussed it has discussed it on the show and some conspiracy theories and that sort of stuff i wouldn't buy into them personally um and i would actually also advise anyone listening don't buy into these conspiracy theories they um unfortunately they're not what make the world around they kind of the opposite but for me matt hancock did not invent coronavirus matt hancock did not kill people directly so to say on twitter that he is he's at fault for hundreds of thousands of people's deaths i think is incredibly vulgar incredibly vulgar from anybody who says anything like that and i'm not defending the man i'm not i'm not going to sit here and criticize because anyone can do that um, I can also say the good stuff that happened. Like that's easy, that, that can easily be done. None of us understand what happened in those situations. I think someone said it on there. Um, one, I think it was Scarlett. We don't know what happened behind closed doors. We just saw him for those 10 minutes a day. He came out and gave that briefing. Yeah. That's all we saw. And the news headlines. And let's face it, none of the news headlines there around that time were, were positive. And for me, he is a man and he is a human being. He's put himself in that position. He was the health secretary. He could have easily walked away. Would people have kicked off if he walked away to start with? Probably. He could have. He, he didn't sign up for that. No one signed up for that. The, the public, the world didn't sign up for that, but it's what happened. He had to deal with it. And he made decisions that he thought was best. Arguably, there are some questions in there with who he gave contracts to and that sort of stuff. Um, well, one specific area um, was the, um, the care home situation. Obviously, the issue that the care homes had was the asymptomatic people going in. To start it with, you couldn't test asymptomatic people to start with. So how on earth is he going to know? By say, what's he want to do? Keep them in hospital where he doesn't know that they're ill at the moment. And put them at risk. It's for me. People need to to understand that if his family are watching this, and his family are going to be seeing the tweets and that going out, and he is a human being at the end of the day. And even for me, Boy George, I we're not going to touch too much on Boy George because I, my opinion this week has gone substantially lower on him. I've been sent so many articles from through the Guardian, everything like that about stuff he's done. Let's say just search up his fifteen month prison sentence he'd done, and let's see if he still wants to be on his high horse saying that. He's going to walk out because Matt Hancock walked in and his mum had coronavirus. My partner, she's probably not, she's, she's not going to mind at all. She lost her grandfather in COVID and she does not sit there and blame Matt Hancock or Boris Johnson. Mm. If anything, she, she thanks them for, for what they did because they didn't, they didn't know what they were doing at the time. And it's easy, it's easy to criticise. It really is easy to criticise. That's what people, um, they're quick enough to jump on, be kind and that sort of stuff. Um, God forbid if Matt Hancock were to take his life after this, after seeing all the tweets. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because there's some of them absolutely horrific and I, I keep saying tweets, which is ironic we spoke about Elon Musk. Um, I think the whole camp has overreacted. The media has jumped on it. Oh, the camp's going to walk out. There's going to be no um, campmates in there. Absolute bollocks. A couple of people have had an issue with him. Okay, you can argue, the only probably argument you might have is that he should be at home right now with his constituents. But we spoke about it before. If they're entitled to annual leave, why can't he choose to spend it in there? If he can make money. I used to work a job and I used to take my holiday to work at another job in the summer because it was it was summer based or spring based and um that's that's the government youth program that i worked when i was about five or six years ago now i used to do that my employees had no issue with that because it didn't affect that work mm. so if he's taken annual leave which looks like liz truss has done now because she's disappeared maybe she's in a constituents maybe one of her constituents let us know boris did no one had an issue with that when he went away everyone is entitled to annual leave and if he decides to spend it in the jungle to earn four hundred thousand, then let him like he's got he's done nothing wrong directly He's, he's uh, uh, um, you probably can hear me quite passionately uh, about it. And if anything, I'm seeing the human aspect of it because no one knows what happened apart from him and people behind that door. And, but yet everyone can tell so many stories of supposedly what happened. Um, I'll pick up on a few points. Yeah, no, please. So, I've, I've had a little rant there. No, that's fine. 
so in terms of the bullying aspect, um, I would like to think that ITV, I don't know how, um, certainly never worked on TV myself, but I would like to think that they won't let that progress too far in camp. Uh, obviously, he can't see or hear what's going on anywhere else in the world. That's yeah. a, that's irrelevant to him right now. And and to an extent, it's not ITV's problem. They're not responsible for what everyone else says. They're, they're responsible for what they put out, yeah. which can potentially provoke, but people should be responsible for their own yeah, social media. Of course, media no, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so I, I don't hold them responsible for that necessarily. However, that said, I would refer back to incidents, and I don't know if you saw them personally, I know a lot of the listeners will have, uh, Lady C, and the issues with Tony Hadley and Chris Eubank uh, in the year that they were all in there, I think it was 2017 or 2018, that went on and on and on and on, wasn't stopped, wasn't curtailed, uh, to the point where she left the jungle. Now... Uh, my view on that at the time was she was the instigator probably 60% of the time. Um, but equally, the behaviour towards her as well wasn't always excusable. Uh, Gillian McKeith, uh, that wasn't necessarily an in-camp thing, but the whole trial situation. Yeah, people kept voting. Um, I know there's speculation around some people think she faked uh, passing out on live TV and whatever. Some people don't. That's open for debate. The fact of the matter is... Whether she faked it or not, it it happened because she just could not go through with it anymore. Yeah. She felt like she was being humiliated, embarrassed, and bullied in doing these trials every single day. And the more it made her feel ill, the more she looked like shit every night. The more people voted for her. I think there's an argument of that. Whether if if it if it was real, let's say, um, obviously she can't stop it. But if it wasn't, and if it was something that she thought she had to do. That's the anxiety kicking in. Like, no yep. one just fakes, um, it, it, except to get attention. She was never doing it for the attention because she didn't want the attention anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, I, I think um, my view, as I said last week, and that remains, the first night he went in and he got voted for that first first Bush Tucker trial in camp, not the one they did as they went in, that's something separate. Yep. The, the two new campmates, from memory, always do a trial when they go in yep. straight away. Yep. Got no problem with that. When he got, I messaged you, when he got voted that first night to do it, I think the message I sent to you is, here we go. Yep. Because I'd already said to you, he's going to get every trial. Happen. I know he is. And he's going to get it because of who he is, because, and I know some people disagree with what I'm about to say, what party he represents and what to some people that represents at this specific moment in time, yep. whether we like it or not. That was going to happen. I was worried it would happen, and it has. I haven't seen uh, last night's episode yet, but it, it happened straight away that first night. And just to pick up on one more point... Um, this is where our views differ slightly. Um, I agree with you to a large extent in terms of um, him being now in this spotlight and some people might think, I know this is what you said, I'm talking about some people, is it really a big issue? And I also want to question time, I said last night, I don't care anymore. I'm fed up of hearing about Matt Hancock. Yeah. I want to deal with this, this and this. And this. I get that to a point, but when you are in a position of trust like he is, when you are paid the salary he is, when you're a public servant, when you do a job that requires you to be in a place at a certain time and for certain periods of the year, and then people see you rock up on a reality TV show, which, by the way, isn't even in the UK, it's around the other side of the world, that is naturally going to provoke it's human nature for people to go, what the hell yeah. is going on here? 
you saw the reaction of the campmates when he walked in. Now, obviously, they've all been in isolation over there for two weeks. So yeah. they didn't know what we knew. They right didn't on. know he was going in. You saw their reaction. Even Sean Walsh didn't look like he knew what... I don't know if you, you, the episode, yeah, you saw. Yeah. He, he, he couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. But obviously he said... He no, I know he's a comedian. About. He's got a funny guy anyway. Yeah. But to me, that was sort of... He was laughing because so he was like, oh, my God, I, I, you know, I know this guy. But it almost so felt like... You couldn't believe it. Is this a joke? Yeah. You know? Chris Moyle's reaction sort of... He, he went in... What do they call it? Not the diary room. Whatever they call it on um, yep, Jungle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he said, you know, tune in get Sean Walsh and uh, I'm going to go, go back and check. Yeah. All right, it was sarcasm and tongue in cheek. He knew who it was, of course. But he was like, this this isn't right. Yeah. And I think from, from my personal view is, I, I've not been sarcastic about it. I've tried not to be offensive. I've tried to be real and reasonable about it. And the bottom line for me is, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. And I think that's probably what everyone else feels, but everyone, of course, expresses that in a different way. Yep. He He's in the spotlight because of who he is. It probably wasn't the right time, I think. It, it might be a little bit too soon. Yeah. There is, I, I've seen people claim that it's because he's releasing a book in December, um, uh, and this is kind of promotion for the book. Um, one thing... Um, so, it, question. question. We, are, we aren't going to stick on this topic, I promise you, listeners. We, we are going to move on to this week. But should... If Matt Hancock has got... 28 days annual leave and he hasn't taken a single day right now I mean it's November so there's a high chance he probably has unless it resets in November you never know if he does that and it's absolutely fine so technically it's fine to go is there a problem with him going over there I think as an uh, MP I think we said this last week um, or it, I hope it was on the podcast last week if not it was probably a private conversation we had but Boris Johnson went on holiday for just under two weeks he went on holiday with his family, uh, you know, and you could argue, I would suggest, uh, and I could be completely wrong, he's still contactable, probably. He's still available, probably, when he's out there. I'd be surprised if he wasn't given the job that he does. If he's as passionate as what he makes out, yep. he'd have been available. Matt Hancock isn't. So I know he's had his laptop and his phone available, he went in and that was one of the conditions once he goes in that's it he's cut off so to a point i agree with you they're on to annual leave i think it's bad timing and like i said a few moments ago it doesn't feel right and it doesn't look right um one other thing i i will touch on um about boy george and a few others who have sort of mentioned well my mum was in hospital and while she was okay uh you know had she died i would leave because yeah. i feel they they are in a very small group in a very small that they're isolated, yeah. and he's the guy that's there. This this is a similar concept to me to the daily briefings they were doing. Whoever came out that day and told us what they told us, that was the person that was going to carry the can for it. Yeah. Because on Tuesday, the whatever of May 2021, you said yeah. they were the guy doing it. Matt Hancock's the guy in front of them. Not Boris, not anybody. He's the guy that's there. So he's going to be in the spotlight. He must have known that was going to happen. I've got all the sympathy in the world for the whole bullying thing and I do genuinely worry that that is going to escalate yeah. and become a problem and I hate that. I hate that thought but I, I I feel like I know that's going to happen. I know it is. Um, familiarity, familiarity, familiarity breeds contempt. 
And I think a lot of people are looking at it as you, Matt Hancock, were in that cabinet that did all these things. You were in the cabinet when people were partying. You were part of that cabinet that got fined and did this and lied and got caught lying. And now your boss is under investigation for yeah. uh, misleading parliament. They've all been bunched together now because they were all part of it. That's what happens. And I think that's where a lot of people and his campmates kind of saying, this ain't right. This is not right. They've all been bunched together now. I, yeah, I, I, I get that concept and I get that that's where people are coming from. In my make eyes, it right. It, it, no, it do, and that's, yeah, in my eyes, it's it's almost, we're, we're happy to accept half of of everything that's there. If that make it, it, in my mind, that makes sense. Let me explain that. So we're happy to, to say he's at fault for it, but you're not happy to, to, to say exactly what he was at fault for. It's like you working for a, a finance company which commits fraud and you work in the admin department. Why should you be blamed for that? Obviously, don't get me wrong. He had a higher position. He had mm. more of a involvement. I get that. I really do get that. But why should you be held that against you now? Why should that stain be on you? You shouldn't. But what happens is people would say, oh, what do you do for a job? Oh, I work for that finance company. Oh, do you? Exactly. Oh, that company yeah. that did that. Or when, when um, uh, Pret. When that allergy thing happened with Pret, yep. and oh god, you work for Pret. It's exactly. yeah, and I think that people people really need to understand that we are so advanced as a as a race, as the human race, but no one is willing to 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 kind of understand that in situations. I find myself getting annoyed sometimes, and I have to ask myself: Am I annoyed at this person, or am I annoyed at myself because I left it this late to get it done, and now because they're serving me, and it's taking them a little bit longer. That's not their fault. That's my fault for doing it so late. And I, I think it's exactly the same concept. Um, and um, uh, the the only sorry, the only other thing I want to touch on is the fact that all of them people in there, Chris Moyles is a daily radio show. Mm-hmm. Eileen from Sue from Coronation Street, who plays Eileen, she I imagine she films four times a week minimum. So why is it okay for them to use their holiday or unpaid leave to go in the jungle, but not Matt Hancock? If obviously because a holiday is a holiday, in my eyes, Matt has got Matt has got a team. If he if something massive happens, I imagine in his contract he's going to say somewhere he needs to go home straight away, and he'll forfeit whatever funds on whatever breakdown across the days, whatever they want to call it, whatever they do. I imagine that's in there. However, if he's on holiday, he is on holiday. He needs to switch off mentally, and I imagine more than ever right now that needs to be made sure for mental health reasons. Like he's just come through himself a horrific time with with COVID. He experienced COVID too, believe it or not. Um, and uh, what, why are they all entitled to take time off? Chris Morris is a daily show. People might rely on that show to get the news. I'm not saying he delivers directly that news, but what if he does? If Philip and Holly, if they, they, they can take the summer off, but why, why is that okay? Why, is, why isn't anyone being moaned at for taking time, anyone else apart from Matt, being moaned at for taking time out of their own jobs that they currently do on a regular basis to go in the jungle? I think the only answer I can give to that is an answer I gave to a similar question last week. Um, in the sense that he his reason that he gave for going out there was he wanted to raise awareness of dyslexia because he suffers with dyslexia. I've not heard him mention that once, by the way. Uh, I no, point that out. he hasn't yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he said a lot of air He time. said that before he went in, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Before yeah. he went in. Um, and no, he hasn't mentioned it yet. So either that was a lie, I'm tempted to say another lie, um, or if that is true, um, as I say, one of the answers I gave to a question last week, Surely the best place for you to raise awareness of anything and yeah. get anything changed 
It's the place you work, mate. You work in Parliament. I've heard a few people who who I can confirm probably haven't listened to this podcast say the very, very same thing you're saying right yeah. now. Yeah, so I don't believe that, but he did say it. So I don't think that's... I think he was probably caught off guard, maybe, and when he yeah. made that statement. I don't think that's what he's going out there for at all. What do you um, think he's out there for? Honestly, himself. Fame? Or the uh, money? Not, not necessarily fame. Um... Because I don't think he's a celebrity. I don't think any MP is a celebrity until they leave. Well, he said that he wants Parliament. to improve his public image. And um, Charlene White turned around and said that every that's a, that's a typical politic, political answer to have. Um, they're not, in, in my eyes, they're not their professions in there. Boy George is not on a stage in front of hmm. thousands of people. They're human beings in so, there. Yeah. I, I get that concept. Um, perhaps you just said that before he went in then instead of yeah. saying about, you know, all these other reasons. But I know we've got to move on, but... I, for me, it doesn't look right. It doesn't sound right. It's it's bad timing. Um, I said last week. I think he, in the back of his mind, although he hasn't said yet, he probably won't stand in the next election. He knows that in his mind. This this is just an assumption, of course. Um, you you asked my it's probably filming a Hollywood blockbuster. I'd imagine yeah. <laughs> the, the celebrity yeah. status he's got now. Um, he's already. Oh, by the way, just picking up something you just said about um, annual leave and has taken in this year. Well, he must have because he's done the photo shoot for SAS Who Dares Wins for <laughs> next year. So he's definitely taking some time off. Um, his mind is elsewhere at the moment. Yeah, That's why it doesn't feel right. He's already done the photo shoot and, and stuff for SAS Who Dares Wins 2023. Uh, that was September, October time. He's now in the jungle. It doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. His mind's elsewhere. He's probably not going to stand at the next election. I'd be very surprised if he does. He's thinking about his future. Is that selfish? Possibly a rhetorical question. We all think about our future. I think it's bad timing. Hello and welcome back to Politically Correct. Um, so it's almost like I'm restarting the show because we are now going to move on to this week, believe it or not. We aren't actually talking about our topics this week. Um, this week we are going to be looking at the NHS nurses strikes um, and talking about some other strikes that have taken place this year. Food banks is going to be a topic we're discussing and obviously the Gavin Williamson departure. But that wasn't all that was in the news this week, Mike. Um, obviously, Gavin Williamson resigned from the government. A record number of people um, waiting at least four hours in A&E hit the highest this week. Um, David Walliams has apologised for using sexually explicit and offensive remarks whilst talking about BGT contestants. Have you? Uh, did you see that news story? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. It, it was in, I suppose, like one of the breaks that they have. They all picked up and... A transcript was given to a, yeah. a newspaper. Uh, the Republicans didn't perform as well as they thought they would in the midterms. Joe Biden probably had a smile on his face. Um, train drivers announced more strikes. NHS workers are set to strike, or NHS nurses are set to strike, should I say. The biggest ever powerful jackpot was won in America, $2.06 billion. What would you spend that on? Oh, my God. Um, they would have got a lot less because they get taxes. Buy it. What would that be? Yeah. One, one twenty, one twenty-two, yeah. one twenty, no, one two, eleven, four elevenths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and don't know the person who sold it to him. The, the petrol station that sold that winning ticket got a, a million pound bonus from the Powerball company. Really? Yep. Um, a man was arrested for throwing eggs at the king in Queen Consort. Mm. Just stop oil protesters cause more issues on the M25. The UK says over 100,000 people have, sorry, the US claims that over 100,000 people have been killed or injured on both sides in the Ukrainian war, which is just horrific numbers. Um, London faced tube strikes after the Labour mayor promised there wouldn't be this was yesterday, wasn't it? any. 
Yes, it was yeah. yesterday. The strikes. So one of his manif- one of his manifesto pledges was that it was not going to be any train strikes during his tenure. Mm. Um, there was yesterday uh, the east coast of the US was hit by a hurricane, and evacuation orders have been hit. Jennifer Aniston opened up this week about not having children. Uh, crypto platform Binance has U-turned on FTX um, bailout, and I've just come through as we are recording this. They are set to file for bankruptcy too. Um, and one of the topics today is food banks. This isn't Binance, by the way, who are filing for bankruptcy. That's FTX. Uh, food banks are at a breaking point with 1.3 emergency million emergency parcels were given out in the last six months. Uh, we're going to start with the NHS strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, they announced for the first time ever, there'll be a UK-wide strike. Is that the sign of the times? Uh, yes. Um, so, at the start of this week, before we decided that this was going to be something we were going to discuss, I had a view on that situation when it when it was. What was your view that, at the start of the week? So, sort of mon- uh, around Monday, probably end of last week and beginning of this week, um, I thought, wow. It's a sign of the times. That's a very sad situation to be in. Um, it's very sad and disappointing to an extent that they don't feel valued. Um, they're obviously not getting paid enough or there wouldn't be such a, an outcry. Um, you know, everybody wants a pay rise. Let's be realistic. Everybody wants... I've never spoken to anybody who said, I get paid enough, I don't want any more money. Yeah. We all want more money. Of course we do. I'd argue with anybody who says, I don't want any more money. Of course you do. But, you know, in a lot of businesses, that's something that you speak one-on-one or maybe as a small sort of focus You can be satisfied with what you earn. Yep. But you, no one's going to turn For it to be on this scale, there's evidently an issue. That was my view at the time. Uh, Might as well delve straight into it, hadn't we? That said, uh, oh, sorry. I was also thinking, this is another situation where the Tory government are going to refuse to negotiate. They're going to say they did when they hadn't, which is what happened with the rail strikes. They yep. said, uh, Grant Shapps at the time, I think was Transport Secretary, yep. stood up. Um, we've spoken to such and such union and the bosses, and this is where we are. And the uh, shadow Transport Secretary stood up and said, well, no, you haven't, because I was with them all day on the day that you spoke to them. You definitely didn't. Um, so I thought, well, this is another situation where the Tory government are not going to negotiate. They're going to call out Labour as pro-strike campaigners because of the backing they have for the unions. They're then going to give them the pay rise they want or something something in the form of pay rise and make themselves look good and take all the credit. That was my view at the start of the week. Um, then I did a bit of research and watched Question Time last night and I thought, hold on a second. This... This is this. There's something not quite right here, and this doesn't quite. Did you perform a U-turn? Oh, that's a controversial question. Uh, not necessarily a U-turn. Um, I probably went. Uh, probably went halfway around the U-shape. Okay. Like, um, what's that? Ninety degrees? <laughs> not quite a Liz Truss. Yeah. Maybe a quasi. Yeah. Um, so, back in June, the government accepted recommendations from the independent NHS pay review body to give one billion around one million extra staff, nurses, paramedics, midwives, a pay rise, um, which was in line with inflation at the time. Okay. Of course that's changed a lot since then. Of course it has. We know it has. 
but they got they got a pay rise at the time. Um, and that included dentists and doctors who got a four and a half percent pay rise as well. So they had a pay rise, right? Um, and they said pay rise. This pay rise recognises the contribution of NHS staff while balancing the need to protect taxpayers, manage public spending, and not drive up inflation. I get that. I get that completely. Yep. What the NHS nurses actually want is a 17% pay rise on top of what they got in June, right? So bear that in mind. Which is 5% above the inflation. Right. So what they're saying is they have missed out on two inflation pay rises, having not had the equivalent or a pay rise at all in the previous year or two years or three years, depending on where you work at NHS. Some people do, some people, some people did, some people didn't. And the other 12% comes from uh, inflation. Yep. And that's how they get 17%. Who, and I, I invite anybody to write in, to tweet us, to email us between now and next week uh, when you hear this podcast, who in this country, in the public sector, has had a 17% pay rise since June, or even in the last year. I would love to hear from you. I understand why they're asking for that. I get why they've come to that number. I understand the principle of it, but I think it's unrealistic. In in a cost of living crisis. In a cost of living crisis, um, we're, we are, albeit not officially, but we're in a recession. Yeah. You know. It, Arguably it's, what's it's, set to be the worst yeah. ever. Everybody is suffering. 17% is unrealistic, I'm afraid. Now, there, there were two nurses that spoke... Uh, last night on Question Time, and I know some people that listen to this might say I always bring up Question Time, but for me, that that program is an ideal opportunity. You've got MPs from both major parties on the panel. Um, you've often got one or two MPs from the uh, smaller parties as well. You've got businessmen, businessmen and businesswomen, and uh, sometimes people from the tabloid press, although I'll try to ignore what they say. Uh, and then you've got the audience that reflects the voters uh, and the sort of numbers from the area that they're currently in. Okay. So I think it reflects society. Yeah. Th- th- that's how they run that show. So for me, that that's a perfect, perfect reflection. It's a good sample to, to, exactly. to learn from. Yep. Two nurses in, in the audience last night both said a very similar thing to each other. This isn't just about money. Yes, we believe we're entitled to a pay rise, but this is about um, the stress and the strain on us as nurses. We are short-staffed. Because we've come out the back end of a pandemic and people are on waiting lists longer or people weren't able to see us or didn't want to put any more stress on us during the pandemic, people now are coming to us much, much more poorly than they were, much sicker than they were before the pandemic. So it takes a lot more time and resource and money to look after them. It takes more people to look after them. They're in hospital longer. That strain on us isn't going away. If anything, it's getting worse. This isn't just about money. We're going home tired. We're coming into work tired. But asking for the raise, that's purely about money. Yes, I think the point they're trying to make is, yes, Obviously, a pay rise is is monetary, and that can't be disputed in in any way, shape, or fashion. What they were trying to say is, 
Um, we're not just asking for pay rise for the sake of it because we think we're entitled to it and we've missed out on a pay rise and inflation is, uh, or, or we've missed out on 12% of inflation. Yeah. We're saying this is about the bigger picture. That was their argument. Would would that not then fall into something else that, that more staff rather than more, more higher pay? Glad you asked that. So when we were doing the recap of last week, yep. I said about the um, Brexit promises and the vote leave campaign video. Yep. Well, as part of that, um, some of the promises that made, quotes, benefit from better care from NHS after redirecting funds from the EU. Uh, wages rising nationally thanks to better controlled immigration leading to better jobs uh, and politicians will become more accountable I think all three of those fall into this category um, now I know that a lot of that was said before the pandemic I understand that and as Mark Harper said last night on question time that we we need to bear in mind where we were when um, some of the reforms were starting to take place yeah and when some of these promises were made, and where we are now, no one knew we were going to have a pandemic uh, in you know or back in the 2019, 2020. Um, but equally, you know, nurses and NHS do need to be recognised. But we need to find some middle ground. Seventeen percent is unrealistic. Interestingly enough, uh, Emily Thornbury was on the panel last night from Labour. She agreed, and Theo Pafitis, businessman, very well-known businessman from Dragons Den and, and, and whatever else, also agreed. They all agreed, yes, they need to be recognised. Yes, they need more. They certainly need more support. We certainly need to drive up NHS staffing, staffing numbers and whatever. 17% is unrealistic. And Theo quite openly said they're not going to get it. They are not going to get it. The government cannot afford that. The, the, one of the biggest questions that I've got, um, there's, a, there's a few quotes I've got from different people, um, but one of the biggest questions is I'd like to put to, the, to, to nurses is who does this directly affect? Them striking against against the government, essentially, isn't going to directly affect Rishi or, or as, as Rat Hank would call them, them in the Ivory Westminster Towers. It's going to affect people in the hospitals because this is now leading on to votes taking place for ambulance staff, hospital porters and cleaners. We're going to have a, a service, an NHS, which doesn't work could we throw the question back in should there be privatization of the nhs no well, could could this be avoided with privatization privatization uh see but i'm going to answer your question with a question but would would privatizing the nhs mean that whoever takes over if you like whoever then owns that organization yeah it's just automatically going to pay them more money that doesn't mean that's going to happen no no it doesn't but what it does do it means that at the moment i feel that um when when they're doing it they, they can do it because they can say look we're on strike because of the government go to the government with your issues so they're instantly throwing the government they're asking for an unrealistic amount right now at 17 percent now People are going to go, oh, they should be paid more. And they should be paid more. Yeah. Pay them millions if you can, but that's taxpayers' money, let's not forget. It's the whole argument. It, it, I'm very going to briefly move over this, but it's the whole argument that the army should be paid more. In my eyes, they probably should be um, paid a hell of a lot more than what some of the jobs, like compared to MPs get. However, it's taxpayers' money. 
And it's the money that's not there right now. Exactly. £9 billion a year this would cost the um, the government in a hole of £40 billion that Rishi's trying to fill. Um, just also, those nurses who are listening and you're unsure whether you have to strike, you do not. Um, you don't have to strike. Um, you have your choice whether you want to work or not. You just need to tell your... Um, your, your employer, obviously the NHS, but your, your your local one. There are some hospitals which aren't because they don't meet the legal threshold to do so. Um, they will There will be staffing levels to keep the hospitals running. They will make sure that no lives are put at risk. How can they guarantee that? Because at the moment they're short-staffed as it is. So what are you telling me, that more staff are going in? If they're short-staffed, clearly there isn't enough people there right now to take care of the, well, of, of the patients. St- uh, the health secretary, Steve Barclay, yep. said two days ago that there is a contingency plan in place yes to make sure that i would they love deal to with see any what that is uh, industrial if action, this yeah. many nurses are going to strike and this goes ahead how how on earth are you going to protect those patients in those hospitals from that many people not being in work i don't i i can't i can't visualize what that is going to look like i really can't well they um they more than 300,000 yeah. nurses yeah. by the RCN were told to vote against, uh, were told to vote in action of, of these strikes. Um, when we're talking about their wages, a nurse's earnings have fallen 6% in, against the, um, the private sector's 3.2%. So obviously there is a bigger gap, of course, but does that 17% mean they, they go up? So the RCN general secretary, so this is the, 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 the union, essentially, said that anger has become action and our members say enough is enough. The voice of nursing in the UK is strong and I will make sure that it's heard. Our members will no longer tolerate a financial knife edge at home and a raw deal at work. Ministers must look in the mirror and ask how long they are going to put the nursing staff through this. Whilst we plan our strike action, next week's budgets in the UK government's opportunity to signal a new direction for serious investment. Um, across the country, politicians have the power to stop this and at any now at any and at any point. The action will be much um, for patients as it is for nurses. Standards are falling too low and have strong public backing for our campaign to raise them. This winter, we are asking the public to show nursing, nursing staff you are with us. Or is this a very controversial question and feel free to refuse to answer this. Are you for or against these strikes? Uh, I'm against strikes. Just in general, across the board? Uh, yes. So there is that legislation coming through government which will put a ban on these? I'm against them to a point. Uh, so... I, I'm all for democracy, and um, reasonability. I would much rather see people sat around a table having discussion. It goes back to, uh, and I, I use it as a prime example. And I don't want to give them very much airtime at all, for a very good reason. But just very briefly, it's like the just stop oil protests. Do you honestly think you're going to get what you want, not what you need? you want by doing what you're doing and disrupting the country and quite rightly i fully support the government in brick walling it and being completely silent on it yeah don't give it any attention i would love it if the press didn't give any attention as well i think it's completely ignored you're not going to get what you want from behaving like that i'm not for one second suggesting that that's anything like the strikes but 
the, for me, the principle is similar. By striking, you are trying to force somebody into making a decision, uh, something that you want. I'd much rather see... What's things. the difference between striking and blackmail? Uh, blackmail is a scenario, I'm going to put these pictures of you online if you don't give me £10,000. I, I, I think, quite simply, the difference is one's legal and one's not. But the government are trying to make striking almost illegal, legal. aren't they? Yeah. Not, not almost impossible. Almost. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the difference. One's legal, one's not. Striking is illegal in a lot of countries, by the way. And I think, I, I agree. I think rightfully so. I think rightfully so. I mean, you, we, we, we touched upon, I think you touched upon prior. Um, if you strike and you're a train driver, you are affecting a lot of industries still. Mm. But I, I use the term people don't rely on you. You've just come out of COVID. You can work from home. Let's face it, you can work from home. If anything, you're probably affecting the companies you work for more than anything because um, they're not making money that day. Um, but if you affect, if you strike and you're in the police, you're in the, the ambulance service, if you're a paramedic, if you're um, even a dentist, like you're, this is, people rely on you to live. People rely on you for safety. I think one really important point here in terms of the question you just asked is, uh, I mean, naturally the Conservative Party are uh, going to be anti-strike because of the makeup of their party. and Yeah. Uh, they're now trying to make it almost impossible. Not completely illegal, but almost impossible. And understand that. Uh, I might not agree with um, the bill they're going to try and get through Parliament in, in its entirety and, and how it's been written, because I think to a to an extent it uh, is demonising some of the people that are striking. I don't, I don't agree with that. However, if you look at the Labour stance under Jeremy Corbyn, uh, he was certainly pro-strike, and he would be seen on picket lines, and still is now. Albeit he's an independent MP now, let's, let's remind our listeners of that. He's he's not a Labour MP. Under Keir Starmer, you he rip. he doesn't publicly support strikes. He doesn't want his MPs on the picket lines. He won't tell them not to strike, and I get that because the Labour Party is made up of the unions, and that I don't think that's going to change in my lifetime. I understand that. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with unions existing. Um, and I don't have a problem with the principle of what they're there for, uh, which, which obviously the main reason is to support workers. Um, but they are also, I wouldn't say distancing themselves from it, but keeping it at arm's length. And that's come from the top of the Labour Party at the moment. Is that... Um do you reckon that's a caution at the moment because they don't need to make those decisions right now? And with everything else that's happened with the Tory, uh, with the con- uh, Conservative Party, that um, that they uh, Labour don't need to come out of a hard line for or against right now. I think there's probably a few reasons why they've done it. I think it's a point of principle. I think Keir Starmer is your modern day Labour leader. Uh, I think he wants to move away from that kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, I don't think he, he won't move away from unions. Um, and again, I've got no issue with that. I think he wants to move away from publicly supporting strike action. Um, and I think to a point in it, it's probably a political decision as well. We don't need to put ourselves out there right now. Exactly. We don't need to have some of our voters, certainly the swing voters, saying, why are you supporting strikes? My mum and dad are in hospital, or I can't get into hospital. Yeah. I can't get to work because of the train, the tube, whatever it might be. They they 
we've had this discussion privately. They currently, as things stand, of course, we've got two years till general election. As things stand, they don't need to do an awful lot at the moment. Nope. They can just sit back, let let the government, if if they do, carry on imploding. Yep. And go into the to go into a general election. The sooner for them, the better. I understand that 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 tact, if you like. Um, but I do think just just I, I I do think it's just a modern day approach from Keir Starmer as well. He, he's younger than some of the previous leaders too. He's a former um, lawyer, director of public prosecution. Yeah. yeah, this is so he knows when to stay quiet and when and when to talk. Um, talking about the government, a department of the health and social care, I'm, I'm always in the firm belief of that. We should give both sides. Um, a spokesman said, we value the hard work of the NHS, including nurses, and are working hard to support them, including by giving over 1 million NHS workers a pay rise of at least £1,400 this year alone, um, as recommended by the independent NHS pay review body, on top of the 3% last year when it was frozen in the wider public sector. Industrial action is a matter for unions, and we urge them to carefully consider the potential impacts on the patients. Downing Street said that strike action was deeply regrettable, Speaking before the industrial action had been announced, the Prime Minister's official spokesman said, we hugely value the hard work and dedication of our nurses, but it's deeply regrettable that some union members are considering this action. These are challenging times for everyone. I think you'll know the RCN are asking for 17% pay rise. To deliver that for all staff, that would cost £9 billion. In this current climate, that is simply not deliverable. And I think we can all agree to that. Yeah. Do, you, um, do you think they're too quick to strike? They don't talk long enough. Wow, you see, this is the problem. Like, we're not on the inside. You don't often get to get to hear yeah. what discussions have taken place, if any. What I what I can say is, um, speaking to somebody that works at the NHS this week, and there's a couple of things I want to share about that conversation. Um, this has been going on for a while, and one of their bosses actually said to them this week, um, "It looks looks like we are going to be striking, you know, as, as an NHS." nationally it's been rumbling on for about six weeks that suggests suggests don't know for sure that these discussions have been taking place and and perhaps nothing's come of it but let's not forget they've asked for 17 percent, and then they're not going to get that so that's where your stumbling block is yeah so how far is it going to go and how long is it going to go on somebody is going to have to give in eventually whether that be the government and i can't see that and they're not one or two percent off they're it, they are Quite significantly apart in where yeah. they believe the. Well, the government are going to turn around and say, "I'm not going to read this all out again." What I said at the start of this segment, they've already had that pay rise. Yeah. Um. Across the board, uh, which also included nurses. No one, no one at the moment is getting that level of increase in their pay, and if you are, please, please tell us or yeah. come on as a guest next week because I can't see that myself. I can't see it. That 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 really is my only issue with this, 17%. I yeah. think if you ask for something more reasonable, perhaps in line with the rest of the private sector, um, sorry, public sector, then perhaps we wouldn't get to this stage. Are they going in that high so that they have, an, uh, have room for negotiation with the government? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not on the inside. But um, just, I, I do want to pick on something else as well. It's It's... It's slightly off subject, but for me, it all falls into the same category. Yeah. So if more money is available in any organisation, industry, NHS, pr 
private, public sector, whatever it is, if there's more money available, that money can be redirected to salaries, yeah. for example, as one area. It, it can be redirected anywhere, but it, it could be redirected to salaries. So currently, and I'm going to use... Um, not this. This isn't example nurses, but it, it, it's all NHS related. So, um, paramedics and patient transport is something completely different. Paramedics obviously deal with emergencies and and, and life threatening life threatening issues. Patient transport is there to transport people to and from hospital. They either can't make it themselves, uh, they may be disabled, they may be elderly, or they may uh, be a cancer patient. In which case, they they get that offered to them anyway. Whatever the yeah. case may be. Now, how that process works is that uh, there is funding available for uh, the transport of those patients, but there are also private companies that do patient transport as well. Now, there there are many examples, uh, and I'm not going to name my source because um, I wouldn't want to get them in trouble. There are many examples of uh, NHS patient transport being allocated these jobs for the day. They, you know, you obviously get the address, where that patient's got to be taken, what's on their appointment is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and the relevant funding is moved from one department to another to transfer that patient to cover those costs. Yeah. If a private company happens to be waiting outside the hospital when they're ready or picks them up, they get paid to take them. And then when the NHS patient transport turns up, because by the way, no one's told them that they've been taken by somebody else, they have to get paid as well. So the NHS, in that particular NHS trust, paid twice to take the same patient to the same place. So wasting time and money. Wasting time, money and resources. Right? That's happening on a regular basis. Secondly, um, in the same area of the NHS... Um, paramedics and um, patient transport workers are paid um, over £10, I think it's around about £11, £11.50, if you uh, have to take your lunch break outside of the um, relevant window, right? So if you're running over or if you're given extra jobs and you have to take it an hour later or whatever it be, you get paid this meal allowance. That is also happening on a regular basis. So you get given a meal window at the start of your shift when you allocated your jobs. Uh, and then because you're having jobs added on or they're moving things around all day because they're allowing private companies to take these patients. So they, they're then paying twice for the same patient to be transported and now having to pay all their staff a meal allowance every day because dispatch have messed up and because it's not being monitored properly. So... This, that is just a few examples of where money is being wasted and where resources are being wasted. If if the management of the NHS was managed much better, if these things were reviewed and looked into by people like Steve Barkley and his staff, rather than arguing with nurses about how much they should be paid, there would be more money available to redirect to salaries. There's other things going on with the NHS at the moment where money's being wasted and resources are being wasted. With, um, with, with the private companies, I'd imagine they'd probably cost more than what it would cost for an NHS driver direct 
usually these private companies because they charge because the companies to earn as well as the people and the resources, whereas the NHS doesn't need, necessarily need to earn money. Exactly, quite and possibly, it, yeah. So it's going to cost them more to do so. So surely, why would you not step up the the purchase of more vans instead of paying these companies? Surely the investment is into the NHS. The NHS, like I said, it's a, it's a not-for-profit. Mm. So everything that goes into the NHS needs to be showing that it's actually helping and bringing forward all the services, all the... Um, the practices that they offer. Yeah, you you have to speculate to accumulate to a certain degree. Yeah, but you you're not going to be able to do that when you're wasting money like no. that. And those are only two examples from one NHS trust. You know, if this is going on all over the country, you're talking about millions, millions and millions of pounds. Dare I say, if 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 there are multiple examples nationally, billions. Yeah. And if it's more than nine, they've got their pay rise. There you go. So for me, there's a wider picture. There's a bigger picture here. Does it cost, how much does it cost? I imagine the question would be to find all this information out because there will be a monetary value to it. So it, it, will they have that couple of million that it could cost them or a few hundred thousand to find out where this, or is it just down to being careful? Well, it's reform, isn't it? And uh, we, we've heard multiple times over, uh, well, certainly, well, it goes back before the pandemic and cert certainly throughout the pandemic, um, and certainly after, about NHS staffing and, and how short staff they are because they've had staff cut back and they've had funding cutbacks like all the uh, public sectors have. Yeah. And although we've been promised 20,000 police officers and so many nurses, that still doesn't take us back to the levels we were 10 years ago. So it looks good on an advert or written down on paper, it still doesn't get us back to where we were. No. Now, I think part of these problems come from things as simple as uh, not enough staff, because if in industry, if things are being rushed, or one person's doing the job of what was three people six or seven years ago, yeah, it's not going to be done to the same standard. Yeah, the quality is gonna is gonna drop, and that's now costing them money, which means they can't give people the pay rise that they deserve. Not seventeen percent. They can't give them the pay rise they deserve because you're pissing money up the wall all the time. Yeah. If anyone listening to this is is works is a nurse or um, would just like to get involved in the topic, uh, you can get involved on Twitter by using hashtag politically correct podcast, and we could use some of your tweets in next week's episode. You can also email us hello at the not at the I keep saying that is hello at politically correct podcast dot com. Um, we are going to move on now on topic. I'm sure we could send that one a little bit longer, but we are going to move on to food banks. Now, this is something that. Um, the Conservative Party would claim Labour didn't tell people about, and that's why there is so much usage since 2010 um, in the UK. Um, records show that there are record-breaking levels with new people, up to 320,000 new people in the last six months were forced to food banks for the first time ever. 1.3 million emergency parcels were given out in the last six months. Um, what is the issue here, do you think, Mike, with food banks? Is it the cost of living crisis? Or is it that just the, the obviously inflation comes comes across the cost of living, but is it that people just generally can't afford to eat these days? Um, we've got two thousand more food banks in the country now than what we had pre-pandemic, um, and uh, you know some of those were obviously introduced during the pandemic. Yeah, um, 
and we know the reasons why people were struggling during that time. Um, but looking at the data, it's gradually creeped up from 2014 to where we are now. If you, if just, and that's usage of the yeah, food just banks. humor me for a second. Let's take out the year 20 to 2021 because it went up quite considerably in that period during COVID. Let's let's just park that for for one moment. If you put that to one side, it's creeped up in the region of about two hundred to three hundred thousand uh, year on year. So we're looking at now UK uh, what two point one two point one seven million um, for twenty twenty one twenty two. Yep. Uh, I mean this this <laughs> this is a these are really worrying figures that people are not able to feed themselves, their families, their children, having to use food banks, what is free food essentially, in order to get by. Um, we can delve into things like the benefit system and universal credit. Um, are people getting enough? Uh, well, there's talks about the bringing those, those types of support up with inflation because they're not yet, are they? They're not yeah. at that, lo- that level yet. So there is talk about doing that, but even then... Is, is that really going to be affordable? I mean, you've got to think as well, people are getting less money or their the pounds less valuable um, and supermarkets are having to put their prices up. And that's not just because of the cost of living, that's mm. with the war in Ukraine. Mm. Um, with different deals now we've got, they've got different rates they've got to pay. Um, talking about your statistics, uh, the number of food packages given out has doubled for this in the same time frame um, before the pandemic. Um, and a third more was given out between April and September last year. Mm. People are turning to them. Like I said, the Tory party will say Labour didn't tell people about them. It wasn't spoken about. 2010, they came into power. Like you said, the stats kind of significantly come up in 2014. So that's four years. Cameron and Nick Clegg, maybe four years to tell people. Probably not. I think people were aware of them. Um, I think people, uh, and I use this term, are less ashamed to use them nowadays because it's either being shameful, supposedly. I don't think it is a shameful thing to do. Or live, and they are now deciding they actually want to live. Well, I, I don't. I don't think it's fair to suggest that people weren't told about them. I mean, that might be a fact that um, they weren't putting posters up around the town saying that there's yeah. food banks available. Uh, but let's not forget, uh, and I understand the reasons why. Don't get me wrong. We we were coming out the back in a recession when the Tory Party got into power. Yep. Um, so there were years of. Um, cutbacks and and funding cuts and austerity in order to try and combat that um i, I don't i think it's fair to say it didn't quite work out how they planned and then we of course we had the pandemic and whatever else but um that's a more realistic reason as to why the usage of food banks have gone up yeah. um i don't know why they can't be honest about that because they can easily say well we're in we had to use austerity because of what the labor government did that's a better argument, surely. Yeah. Because they used the argument that there was no money left when they took over, and albeit you can easily argue that's because we were still in recession when David Cameron got into power, but that's Coming a better out, argument. Yeah, that's yeah. a fairer argument. Um, there are a couple of other issues with this. Um, so speaking to two sources this week, um, there is a third source, but um, unfortunately they're not, they're not with us anymore, but um, I do happen to know they used food banks why they used them and spoke to them um when they were alive 
So I'm, I'm, I'm still going to use that example. So speaking to two sources this week, that there are other issues here. So one of the sources that I spoke to said that when they've used food banks, uh, and this is someone that, uh, that, that is on uh, benefits and receives welfare from the government, uh, that they are often stood in the queue at the food bank to, to get their food package for the week and, and whatever. And there are people, and this is a perception thing, by the way, let's not forget. There are people turning up in BMWs with brand new trainers on, nice tracksuits, uh, you know, their kids are immaculately dressed and they got brand new trainers on and they're queuing up at the food bank as well. Now, I, as an individual, I'm not suggesting that those people aren't hard up. They might have had money six months ago and yeah. now, uh, you know, husband and wife out of work and they can't afford it anymore. That, that, that's, that's the car we own, yes, and we've got nice clothes, but I, I was in a job when I got those things. That may be the case. But the, 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 the perception is that some people mugging these food banks off as well. Yeah. One of the other sources I spoke to quite openly said that uh, there's a number of food banks in their local area that, that they use. They can go to more than one food bank and it's not checked. In a day. Yep. It's not checked. So do you know what the system is? I, I mean, personally, I, I thought yes. it was tickets and stuff like that. But for some it is. Okay. For some it is. Uh, and I'll, I'll come on to a few examples of that in a second um, from, from another source. So so th this person, you can go to multiple food banks in a day, uh, and some of them who don't check anything, uh, he quite openly said that he's gone in there and said that he's a family of four. He's not. He's on his own. He's okay. a family of four, and he gets enough food for family of four, and he was distributing that food to other family members who uh, were also... Me. Allegedly struggling. Okay. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. So the other family members, do you know, were they entitled to food bank access or not? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Um, but what concerns me the most is that you're able to go in, say that you're a family of four when you're not. So how many other people are doing that? Yeah. Now, uh, one of the one of one of my other sources, uh, and I, I'm I'm switching between sources here as I go on because. Um, relevant to where I am with my sort of story. Uh, one of my other sources said that uh, they have done a similar thing. They've used multiple food banks and gone to different food banks in the same day uh, and filled their single single person again, filled their cupboards with food. They live on their own um, to the extent where some of their food was going out of date and it was being thrown away. So that that is food that could have been given to somebody that really, really needed it or perhaps went without a meal that day, that week, that was sat in somebody else's cupboard. Now, uh, some of the food banks do use a ticket system. So, um, is it Salvation Army? I was yep. going to say Samaritans, that's a completely different thing. Salvation Army, they have a system where you can only go six times a year um, and they keep a note of your details, so that wherever you go in the country, once you get to your six... That's it. Now, the way their, their food banks work, as I understand it, uh, from the people I've spoken to, is that, that they don't see themselves as like a mainstream food bank, and that's why you can go six times a year. Okay. They're, they're sort of a last resort kind of thing. And that, that's the feeling I'm getting. Yep. That if you've tried all the other food banks, you can't get food, by all means come and see us, but we're not a mainstream food bank, we can only see you six times a year as a last resort. Um, and as I say, yeah, some others use a ticket system. 
Now, the, the way that ticket system should work is that if you have to prove that you're on benefits, you have to prove that you are receiving welfare or universal credit and that you are struggling, uh, and they will give you a letter or, or, or a ticket, and, and you have to take that in in order for to be able to use that food bank and, and, and get what it is you need. You need from them. And how, how long does that process take, though? If you're sitting there and you're hungry and you think, you know what, we've got nothing in the cupboard, I've got three children here I need to feed. Um, obviously, you don't think about yourself in that scenario. You're thinking about your children. Um, right, I'm, I'm going to bite the bullet now. I'm going to swallow my pride. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go go sign up to get to a food bank. Fills it in. It's a Friday night. Well, they're not going to work the next two days. Okay, it takes seven days to come back to me. Seven working days. So we're not looking until the next following Tuesday at the very earliest before they ask me for more information. Um, going back to your friends. Um, now... Sources. Your sources, not your friends, your sources. Apologies. Um, do you think what they're doing is morally right? I don't think it's morally right. Do they? Do you think they know that too? Oh, yeah. Why, why oh, do you yeah. think they continue to... Obviously, because you made, you made the point yourself yep. that food is being thrown yep. and that could go to people who genuinely need it. Yeah. I don't think it's morally right. Um, I think that... So one of the people I spoke to who was was trying to support the wider family as well. Uh, so yes, they were lying yeah. about the fact that they lived alone. They um, but they were supporting others as well. That's fair enough. Morally wrong, perhaps, that they were taking food that could have gone to people that really, really needed it. But it was going to... It wasn't like they were guessing it other for a party yeah, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, that's fair enough. Um, but then... My second source, um, it, it, it was morally wrong to be yeah. going around all the food banks in the, in the city. Um, I think in that sense. cupboards with food and basically you're taking a, a meal off of, off of somebody else. In Multiple sense, people probably. I think the, the food banks and that person is at fault. There should be some sort of system so we know people are getting enough of what they need. Some people need to eat more than others as well. No one is the same. Um, people need to have different dietary requirements and... That's how we, if you have a, some sort of system put in place, that's how we can get that down where the Salvation Army, you can go, look, this food bank's running out, but we know the Salvation Army's got food. Now, that's what they're used for. They use that last ditch one. Um, the Trussell Trust said um, that the food bank's now at breaking, breaking point, um, and that's due to a tsunami of need. Um, an executive chief uh, at the Trussell Trust, Emma Reeve, said... These new statistics show that even in the summer months, people are struggling to afford the essentials and are expecting this that this winter to be the hardest yet for food banks and the people that they support. This is not right. We are calling for the Prime Minister to act decisively in next week's budget. We urge the UK government to realise their commitment for supporting people on the lowest income with a broad package of support, as well as ensuring that the benefits rise with inflation as soon as possible. This must go further to close the gap between these price rises and the income over the winter. Now, price rises aren't direct fault of the government. There are some issues that are way out of the government's hands that they are trying to deal with. Um, but there is a huge black hole mm. in the government borrowing at the moment. There's a huge £40 billion hole he had to, yeah. or £45 billion he had yeah. to find. Yeah. Um, what's the other solution? Because this isn't just a... Let's get them their next meal. I know for um, for parents, they'll be thinking, right, 
okay, I, I can get lunch today. I've got, I've got dinner sorted today. Tomorrow we'll wake up, we'll, we'll sort out tomorrow because it's just, that's the way they have to live at the moment, which is horrific. It is not times we should be living in, but it's a bigger issue. It's long-term. So what do you think Rishi and the government need to do, Jeremy Hunt, in that budget to, to an, enable people to, to have a more sustainable practice when it comes to well, getting food let's not forget firstly I, I don't want people listening to this think that we're, we're demonizing these food banks because there are a oh, not lot of people that use them for a genuine reason and really really desperately need that food yep. every single week notably people with families and and obviously children um i think there there are a lot of situations at the moment we've just spoke about nhs I'm going to say the same about food banks as well. There needs, there needs to be a better system in place. There needs to be some sort of reform. Whether that has to come in the form of legislation, then so be it. You have to speculate to accumulate. If you want to save yourself money, because the government have to put funding into these food banks as well, then put a system in place. Make them all sing from the same hymn sheet. Make sure that people that are using them have a ticket or a letter or their name is on some kind of system that allows them to use it. What you don't want is... Because, I, I mean, I worry that if it's that easy to do what my, my, my source have said they've done, that... So many more are doing it. Yeah. And I use the example of the, the family that turned up in the BMW and they were all very immaculately dressed and looked like they had, you know, designer tracksuits and trains and whatever. Let's say, for argument's sake, that they didn't really need to use that food bank. If it's that easy to play the system, are people using them... To get their dry food, so they don't they don't give you meat and things like that. To get their pasta, their cereal, um, and things like that from the food bank, and then go to the shop and buy the rest of their shopping. Look at the money they're saving. Yeah, if it's that easy to do, and, that's and let's face it, in society now, if it's that easy to do, and especially in the cost of living crisis, if you can save yourself Why thirty pounds you? of shopping every week. People are going to do it. Because you might not need it this week, but you might need it next. Exactly. And things like passion syrup will last a long time. Yeah. So people are going to do that. They are going to exploit you if they can. And that takes the food away from the people that genuinely need it. There are people out there that genu- genuinely need to use these food banks to feed themselves and to feed their children. There are people going about a meal day in and day out so they can feed their kids. And that is morally wrong. Yeah. That's morally wrong. And that's, that's partly because of the people that are playing the system and not using them for the right reasons. Before, before we wrap up on this topic, because we do need to move on, um, further stats, one in five people are being referred. 95% of people who have been referred are what is classed as destitute, so they don't have enough money to buy just the essentials, which is horrific. But there is support on offer, um, and we, I do want to try and balance. Um, we can attack, we can say they need to do this and that. They have done some stuff. The £650 cost of living support, obviously that's under Boris. The energy price saver, which is saving every household around about £700 a year, which doesn't seem a lot when your bills are so high. But I think we can all kind of appreciate that. They've altered the universal credit to keep um, about £1,000 more um, in people's pockets who obviously who have who claim the universal credit. Um, clearly, it's not enough. It's a start, but I think the government need to know it is a start, and now we need to keep it going. Mm. Do you think that, um, I agree it's not enough, and I, I, I agree it's a start. Do you think the government need to start looking at, looking ahead to the budget next week? Uh, and I, I'm just going to pluck one out of the air that, that 
comes up um, occasionally, things like international aid. Do we need to now start cutting that back and saying, look, yes, we acknowledge that other countries that are worse off than us need that aid, but we need to start looking after our own people first. Do we need to start looking at things like that and saying we need to cut that back because we've got over 2 million people using food banks and we're going to support our own people first. Does that not start at home? Does aid not start at home? I, I, I completely, and I think it's a typical charity. Charity starts at home. I think that's that's the common saying. I think the, the ins and outs of that, and a lot of people make the same claim, and I think that's a justified claim to make. However, the deals we have across the world, the, the agreements we have, we can change those agreements now, but they won't come into effect now. They'll come into effect when the, when the things are set to be renewed. So we could say, look, we're cutting aid, um, to, to, to third world countries uh, by 50%, and that gives us an extra 5 billion a year to our own people. Now, that's not an actual figure. I'm going to point that out. That is not that is not true figures. That's just an example. But that's probably not going to happen until 2030. And by 2030, I'd like to think the country would have sorted itself out a little bit by then. But I think what it does do, it makes us more sustainable for the future. It makes us, we're, we're now out of the EU. We probably do need to make more friends than enemies right now um, as a country. But I think we can cut all that sort of stuff. And unless we probably do what will be deemed internationally as breaking the law, even changing those policies now is not going to come into effect now, unfortunately. But should this have been something um, when we saw the numbers rise? It's being proactive rather than reactive. Let's face it, we've been in 12 years of Tory government now, um, eight years since the, the, um, uh, the, the food bank usage started to significantly rise. And we weren't proactive. As a country, we were not proactive. As the government, at the time, it was a coalition, or the hung parliament was the coalition, um, and then the Tories won it again, but it wasn't proactive. We've not put a sustainable thing in place to stop this from happening. Mm. We should be able to go, right, we're having to dig in to that five billion pot that we've put aside for people who need food. Not, we need to find five billion for people who need food. Now, I yeah. know government, government borrow, government spend everywhere, and... I, COVID, let's face it, did really, really affect finances. But these, I mean, the furlough scheme, you can argue, if that didn't happen, would we have the money today, right now, for that cost of living crisis we're in? Probably. Probably. Um, I want to move on, because we are we are whittling through. Um, Sir Gavin Williamson. <laughs> Third, let's say, sacking, because it would have been... Um, this time, arguably one of the most controversial uh, morally reasons why. Um, first, so his positions, let's talk about his positions he's had. Um, Chief Whip under Theresa May then moved to Defence Secretary and was fired for a leak. Um, he was ousted as Education Secretary under Boris Johnson, and that's for the issues he had with the, the GCSEs, the A-levels. Yeah. Um, and now he was, he was the Minister of State without portfolio under Rishi Sunak. And he has been sacked um, for bullying allegations. Mm. Um, right for him to go? Uh, yes, of course. Um, I think that when something starts out as just an allegation, I think it's something that needs to be looked into before people start jumping the gun. But when the evidence um, was produced, uh, which, of course, he, he didn't deny and couldn't deny... Um, I think obviously the the game changed a little bit then. Yeah. Um, and of course, again, we're not on the inside, but I'm sure that uh, Rishi and his team have done enough of an investigation in those few days to say Gavin did send them. 
and he needs to, he, he needs to be sacked. He wouldn't have sacked him for no reason. No. Do you think, or or could it have been the damage that Liz Truss is thinking? He had to have shown the power, the the authoritiveness, and he's kind of said to him, "Look, you're going to have to go if you get found not guilty. We'll find you a space. There's somewhere for you here, but right now we can't have this in our government." Mm. I, I, I'm I'm all for instant to prove guilty. Um, that's a whole other conversation. And I don't necessarily think as a society we, we still kind of adopt that approach. But um, like I say, it started out as an allegation and people supported him for about 36 hours. Yep. And then the messages were made public. And then, like I say, I think they probably looked at it, decided that there's enough here already. And he was given the option to resign, which I'm going to come on to in a minute, by the way. Um, and then he was... Well, Rishi backed him to start with. Exactly. Rishi turned around and said, as you know, there are ongoing complaints, um, the process uh, concerning text messages. Um, sorry. Uh, th- that, sorry, that's, that, sorry that's, that's not what he said. That's, the, um, that, that's his resignation. Um, so I'll continue. And he said, text messages sent to a colleague, and this is a reference to Miss Morton. Um, I'm complying with the process and have apologised to the recipient for those messages. Since then, there have been other allegations... Uh, made about my past misconduct. I refute the characterization of these claims, but recognize the that these are becoming a distraction for the good work this government is doing and the British people. I've therefore decided to step down from the government so that I can comply fully with these complaints process that is underway and to clear my name of any wrongdoing. So he is, he said as well, he, yeah, he wants to clear his name. So he's confident. Or is he all but done? trying to save what is part of a third and presumably final sacking. Well, interestingly, and, and I, I've not heard anybody use the argument that I'm about to use yet, um, so to, to come back on your point there, so let's rewind to when he was Defence Secretary un, under Theresa May. So he was involved in the discussions with Huawei, if that's even how you pronounce it, yep. about uh, the use of a 5G network here, and, and there was obviously security concerns because where in the world they are based. Uh, and then uh, some of the details around that potential deal were leaked to the press, which, of course, came with uh, national security issues. So Theresa May said uh, in the letter announcing his sacking uh, that it was an extremely serious matter and a deeply disappointing one. This is why I commissioned the Cabinet Secretary to establish an investigation into the unprecedented leak from the National Security Council meeting last week and why I expected everyone connected to it, ministers and officials like to comply with it fully. You undertook to do so. She then went on to say, I'm therefore concerned by the manner in which you have engaged with this investigation. They've all answered questions, engaged properly, provided as much information as possible to assist the investigation and encourage their staff to do the same. Your conduct has not been of the same standard as others. In our meeting this evening, I put to you the latest information from the investigation which provides compelling evidence suggesting your responsibility for the unauthorised disclosure. There is no credible version of events to explain um, this leak. He said in his response, and I quote, I appreciate you offering me the option to resign, but to resign would have been to accept that I or my civil servants are responsible, and this was not the case. So, fast forward to the situation now, the bullying, where he has then resigned, 
Well, two years ago, sorry, three years ago, he said, I appreciate you offering me the option to resign, but that would mean that I did it. So by him resigning, is he accepting all the allegations against him now then? Or has he changed his stance completely? Because his stance before was, if I resign, I'm accepting full responsibility. Now, he hasn't denied the text messages because he can't, but there are multiple allegations. So by resigning, is he now admitting? Is he now admitting? The only the only other reason you would, you would guess would be the authority and the respect for the sitting prime minister at the time. Um, Theresa May obviously came in after David Cameron um, and no one foresaw what was going to happen over the next three years. So did he think that, look, everyone knew why Theresa May was there, unfortunately, as as I've touched upon before. Um, But now, more than ever, this government needs to look stronger. He probably thought maybe he can get away with going against Theresa May. Or like you said, he's admitting he's done something wrong. Rishi went back to him with his statement and he said he supports his decision to step down and he understands why he's taking it. So part of me part of me thinks that if he is now going to go on a media circuit and say, I've done nothing wrong to keep his face out there and he gets found not guilty, he's going to be straight back in that cabinet. He will. Or Rishi's kind of said to him, look, I, I really can't be dealing with this now. This is not something we... Look, look at what just happened last month. He's now three weeks into his tenure as, as prime minister. Just not even... Yeah, three weeks uh, in, over just over three weeks. He can't be dealing with this. He really, the Conservative Party can't be dealing with it. The, they're at a completely different um, position. Now, for those who haven't seen the um, or heard of the text messages, um, he one claimed that Gavin told them to slit your throat. Um, and that was made, um, uh, so he told another one, an ex-civil servant in time, to jump out the window. Um, now, one thing, and also the ICGS has indicated that these had extreme impact on the mental health of the people. Um, Labour's Angela Rayner uh, claimed um, that Mr. Sunak had appointed Sir, uh, Sir Gavin with full knowledge of these serious allegations about his conduct and repeatedly expressed confidence in him. Adding to the events of the past week um, had been a damning reflection of a weak Prime Minister. She followed up with, this is yet another example of Rishi Sunak's poor judgment and weak leadership. It is clear to see he is trapped by the grubby backroom deals he made to dodge a vote and is incapable of putting the country before the party. And she, she follows up with yet another Tory government descent has descent into chaos. Do you think this... Obviously he's in COP27 now. Mm. Do you think it's as simple as he's just said, I, we, we, we can't deal with this now? Um, or not, not... Sorry, not deal with it. We can't... Be, this can't be a media storm for the Tory party now. You need to get out of the government, fix it. If you do, you're back. If you don't, that's it. Well, I think that could have been avoided if he didn't appoint Gavin Williamson in the first place. Yeah. He knew that he had been sacked from government before for a defence league. That wasn't that that wasn't too long ago. Um, but we know how he feels about security leagues because he appointed Suella Braverman as well, who we spoke about last week. So he evidently doesn't have an issue with it because he had two people in the cabinet that had done the same thing. Um, so there, there's evidently an issue with that and, and there'll be a lot of people, voters, that would have a problem with that as well, naturally, uh, d- regardless of who you vote for. Um, I don't understand, I don't understand how this year Boris Johnson knighted him, made him a sir, after being sacked for a defence leak. And he sacked him. For, for making... Well, I had a family member who was in school and who was 
uh, doing home learning during that pandemic. So I know firsthand, because uh, I was living in the same house at the time, firsthand how that system was working and what shambles it was at times. Uh, to change the grading system during that period as well was absolutely criminal. And it wasn't a surprise to anybody that lost his job. To then knight him only months later, I, I don't. I just don't understand that. I do not understand that at all. There may be an ulterior motive for it. There may be a reason why Boris did it. Was it another backroom deal? Who knows? But that is just beyond belief. I think he's one of few people that might risk having that taken away from him if these allegations are found yeah. to be true. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's set to take place at the end of this year, or yeah. has he got it already? He's 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 officially Sir. Gamble. He is Sir. Already, okay. Yeah. And let's not forget that at the time that he was knighted, bearing in mind this is only uh, earlier on this year, not that long ago, his bullying his bullying accusations had already been muted. Yeah. Already anyway. Um, but because he wasn't in a, a sort of a, a cabinet position, it didn't really go very far publicly or, or, or with the press and the media. Um, he hasn't lost the whip. No, not yet. Do you think that if a man enters the jungle, he loses the whip? But if a man sends a message to a civil servant saying he's going to or to slit your throat, he doesn't. Do you not think that that's a a, a, a loser, a sackable offence eventually? Essentially. Would be in any other job. It would be. It would be gross misconduct. Bullying of any form in any job has to be a sackable offence, doesn't it? And on more than one occasion. Mm. Or more, I, I, there needs to be something in government if, if, and I use the term if, Labour come into power, um, obviously the election has to be held by 2025, January 2025, that is. Um, they need to put something in place right away to stomp this out. Because I, I imagine that it's not just a specific party. I imagine there's other areas in the, in the parties where there's bullying taking place, but there needs to be an absolute no-no. Well, it. let's not forget at the moment that there's no ethics department in government at the moment because the person who was responsible for that resigned under Boris Johnson. And no one's been reappointed. Because he felt uh, that there are no ethics here. Yeah. And I'm certainly not being held responsible for it. And he went. They've not been replaced. Um, there needs to be some somebody or a department independent of government that uh, is looking over this because it's this has been going on for years now and it, it all started with the expenses scandal and it's just rumbled on. You've and had on. sexual misconduct, you, you've had um, sexual assault allegations, you've had Even to the bullying. point with the, the, the media, I think they can get involved in it, with the, um, in what was it, Angela Rayner comments that was made about um, the way she moves her legs yeah. Um, to distract the men. Even the media feel like they can get away with it now. So there yeah. needs to be something put in place yeah. to put some um, credibility, to put some actual, um, what's the term I'm looking for, some belief that you're not going to be bullied in this environment. You are there to make a change, and just because you don't, you get bullied. Look at look look outside when they were doing the vote. But the, and ultimately, the evening of um, Liz Truss is full. Jacob's Reed Mogg shouting at people, grabbing people because they couldn't quite understand what this vote was. Now, I know the whips are there to essentially use the term whip them in line, but people, they're there to serve what they think is right. And he's not a whip. And he's not a whip to start with, yeah. So to be hurt, sh to be seen shouting and grabbing people. Well, I think he showed his true character that night. Oh, without a doubt. A character that we don't see as public normally, but Chris Bryan got a picture of it yeah. and, and reported it. And spoke about it in and the And to House the point Commons. that to those who don't know, taking photos in that area is strictly prohibited. Completely prohibited. 
And the fact that he knew that and he had to take it, and I would have done the same. There is no doubt in my mind. If I saw that, I'd like I, I would have done the same. Do you think Gavin Williamson returns for a fourth time? Is this going to be like a Halloween movie, and he's going to be in thirteen times, and then finally we're going to see him out? Uh, no, I I think this is um, probably the end of his cabinet career, if you like. And in my view, if these allegations are found to be true, and it's proven to be true, and I'm all for an investigation before people are hung, drawn, and quartered. Don't get me wrong. Innocent until proven. Um, I'm 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 comfortable with the fact he's not had the whip withdrawn until that investigation is withdrawn. Uh, uh, concluded, sorry, as long as when it is concluded, if it turns out these allegations are true, then he should have the whip withdrawn. Let's not forget, by the way, that this isn't uh, this isn't just relevant to the Tory party. There are 11 MPs in Parliament at the moment that are sitting as independents. Six are Labour, five are Tory. That could, could be six all soon, but um, for a variety of different reasons, um, Jeremy Corbyn is a prime example. He's now an independent because of his comments and alleged beliefs on uh, anti-Semitism and, and whatever. He was investigated and it was found proven that... And he was uh, the top of the party at yeah, one point. Yeah, exactly. No one no so one it's is... not just the Tory party. It's fair to say that um, certainly recently, both parties have dealt with it uh, rapidly and we've drawn the whip from those MPs immediately. Yeah. Um, prior to that, some of Boris Johnson's decisions obviously were questionable. Some people were kept in jobs, even given jobs when they shouldn't have been, and, and he was almost forced to deal with those issues. But of late, it's been dealt with appropriately and, and fairly. Um, but I do think we it needs, uh, again, again, I'll come back to the word reform. It needs reform. You need somebody or, or a team of people who's responsible for ethics in that place, not just in government, in that place. You touched upon um, if he's found guilty. If he's found not guilty, should he be allowed back or not? I mean, the argument, forget the previous two. Um, should do you think there is a, a another chance for him in government? Oh, that, that's a really tough question because I wouldn't have appointed him in the first place. Uh, Pre- and, and based on the, the previous... Yeah, I wouldn't have appointed Suella Braverman either. I, I, I like her as a human being. I said that last week. Um, I think she's been a responsible MP bar the security issues that she's admitted to, but yeah. I, I wouldn't have people like that in my team. You can't be trusted. You know, this isn't a case of telling the press something that I said in a cabinet meeting. These are national security leagues. Yeah, there, there are countries around the world, like Russia, like China, and others, I'm not just singling those two out, but they're the obvious two, who are rubbing their hands together yeah. when our MPs are, are breaching national security. That's information they probably didn't have before. Now they've got it. Now, but these people are in cabinet. If she'd waited twelve hours, she would have, or twenty-four. Was it the same evening, or was it the the day before? So thirty. If she waited thirty-six hours, um, she would have got out anyway, um, without without having to to do this leak. Um, anyway, we are coming to the end of the podcast, but we do have a new segment uh, this week, and it's going to be one we're going to be bringing back regularly. It's we um, we are talking about quite um, um, strong topics, quite. Um, not always jolly topic. So Mike has a brand new segment where he will be, um, I'll let him explain. Um, I'm just going to introduce it as a minute with Mike. Uh, so as Curtis has said, we we speak on this podcast about quite serious issues around politics, around news, uh, and we branch off of that into some quite disturbing matters sometimes and, and things that I'm sure 
hit people quite hard that are listening and, and watching on YouTube as well. So um, we've added this segment at the end. Something I want to speak about something each week, which uh, it might touch some people, it might relate to some people, not necessarily related to politics, uh, not even sometimes related to the news. Um, and when we spoke about this earlier this week, I happened to stumble across something. Um, and I think that's how some of these uh, wonderful, nice um, stories come out sometimes. They're not always things which are in the public eye. No, you yeah. just happen to stumble across it or somebody tells you about it. I stumbled across a video on YouTube uh, from Australia's Got Talent. Um, it's not a show that I watch. I've watched Britain's Got Talent before. Um, but I have only got around about a minute to do this. It's called A Minute With Micro Reason, so I... I'm going to time you. I would expect... Thank you. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, wait, wait. Um, we'll, so I'll do your countdown. Are you ready? So are you, are you good to start? I'm good to start. I don't need to do it this week, but we're going to time you. So three, two, one. So a contestant on Australia's Got Talent uh, came on stage with a pack of cards, and he was called Magic Mike. And the immediate reaction of the judge in the crowd. We all know what Magic Mike refers to yep. normally. So he introduced himself as Magic Mike. And he began by saying that he'd like to tell a story with a pack of cards. And he asks one of the, jobs, one of the judges, uh, Shane Jacobson, to write his name on the face of one of the cards before putting it back into the pack. And he, he doesn't see what card he's written on. Uh, Magic Mike then goes on to explain that he's come to tell a story about a guy named Jack. And Jack has a loving family. He has lots of friends. And he enjoys singing karaoke. As he's telling the story, he uses the cards to demonstrate. For example, he uses the jack to represent. explain the name of the person that he's representing. Yeah. He goes on to say that Jack often sings Queen on karaoke and he uses the Queen of Hearts down the table to re reflect what he's saying. Magic Mike then goes on to use the cards to show that 3,318 Australians took their own lives last year. And he finishes by saying that Jack decided to share his story on Australia's Got Talent before choking up. So Magic Mike is in fact Jack. He ends whilst crying, explaining that without the rain, there can be no rainbow. And to finish, he says, shine bright like a diamond before revealing the card that Shane had written on right at the start, the two of diamonds. Um, a fantastic story, uh, something which is relevant to a lot of people. There's a stigma around mental health for men at the moment. I watched that video and I was engrossed with it, with, with the story and how he started off talking about Magic Mike and then it turned out that he was actually Jack and the story is about him. Fantastic story. It's about five minutes long. There's a lot more to it. I've summarised it. Yeah. Um, if you just go on YouTube and type in Magic Mike, Australia's Got Talent and you'll be able to watch it. Fantastic story. So I, I did stop the time there when um, when you stopped telling that story. We were slightly over, but we'll let you off. It was one minute and forty six seconds. It's Thank a, you. a minute and forty six seconds with Mike, <laughs> and not Magic Mike. No, no, we're not getting into that. Um, so make sure you join us uh, again next week. Maybe you can get involved in the conversation on Twitter by using hashtag Politically Correct Podcast or email us hello at Politically Correct Podcast. Dot com. I said it right that time, first time. Uh, thank you for all the listeners so far. Please keep listening. We will have some bonus episodes as well where we'll be discussing different topics. May not be the hottest topics of the week, but um, different topics which uh, are widely debated. Um, uh, Mike and myself will be uh, talking about But Thank you again from me. Mike, did you want to say anything oh, before we thank go? Thank you, Curtis. Thank you for everyone that listened. And we'll be back next week.
Thank you.